I'm Mark Olson, and this is The Real, a podcast where culture and entertainment meet. I write about movies here at The Times, and a frequent topic of conversation among my colleagues on the entertainment staff is how tough it is for any of us to just keep up with the relentless wave of content between movies and TV. So this show is about the stuff that we're watching and how we watch it. It's mid-November, and somehow we have not yet talked about the Oscars or awards season much recently here on The Real. And as much as we in the media like to think we know a thing or two about how the process works, this year in particular, it all feels in flux. The new movies Widows and Roma, each in their own way, represent these changes in what kind of movie gets to be an Oscars movie, along with known quantities like Black Panther and A Star is Born to remaining to be seen unknowns such as Vice and The Mule, this year's awards picture is still coming into focus. So I'm joined by Times Awards columnist Glenn Whip and Times film reporter Amy Kaufman to set the table for the movies, the people, and the stories we'll be following over the coming months. Glenn, maybe to get us started, you are our awards columnist here at the LA Times. And I feel like I've asked you a version of this question before, but to me, it's always a great way to sort of get into talking about the Oscars. And that question is simply, who cares? Like, (laughs) why do you think it's important for anyone to really pay attention or to sort of like, why do the Oscars deserve the attention that they receive? Yeah, I, I feel like we have had this conversation. I guess what I say to you just never makes an impression, Mark. Who cares? Well, it's that time of year where all of these movies that aren't sequels or franchises or Marvel things, except this year there is a Marvel movie in contention, hopefully, get released. And a big reason why they get made is the chance that they will receive Oscar nominations, which is great publicity for these movies, helps them make money, which helps them get funded. And to me, it also has to do with the idea that the Oscars themselves have to do with Hollywood's self-image. It's the way that Hollywood wants to present itself to the world, the way that the industry sort of, it's like their best version of themselves. And now, Amy, you actually have attended the Oscar ceremony for the last number of years. Do people at the ceremony, do they care? Is there a sense that like this matters? What do you feel like is the investment in the room of the people that are there? Oh, yeah. Like the the producers of big movies will spend the entire time in the lobby just like drinking, but trying not to drink too much. And like will openly say like I think Damien Chazelle last year was like barely sitting in there because he was just like the year that La La Land was up for it. He was just like freaking out. Because, Glenn, you brought up the movie Roma, Alfonso Coron's new film. And, and I can't help but feel that both Roma and also Widows, the new Steve McQueen movie that's just opening, that somehow those to me feel really indicative of the fact that right now with Oscar season, it's very unpredictable because of the new makeup of the Academy. In some ways, we and you as an Oscarologist can tell me how you feel about it. How dare you call me that? The things that we used to know, the constants we used to always think that we had about what the Academy was thinking, what the Oscars were, what they meant, what kind of a movie is an Oscar movie. It feels to me like those things are all in flux right now. Do you think that what is an Oscar movie is changing? Well, it is. I mean, at this time last year, I was writing stories like, you know, it's Get Out, the Jordan Peele movie. Is this going to be taken seriously as an Oscar contender? Because Universal was spending a lot of money and starting a campaign 
and a campaign they had started long before kind of laying the groundwork for that. Is that an Oscar movie? Because nothing like that had ever been nominated for Best Picture before. Was Moonlight an Oscar movie? It won Best Picture the year before. Thankfully, yes, it's changed. And we have a much broader definition of what a Best Picture is. It's not the King's Speech. It's not Imitation. Uh, what was that? The Cumberbatch movie? Imitation you, Game. Imitation Game. Thank you. See, I've already forgotten the name of it. But yeah, it's not those Weinstein, Miramax, you know, prestige kind of movies. Uh, Frost Nixon. I mean, all those You're historical... Talking, I feel like those, what those all have in common is, yeah, either a period piece or they're British. Yeah. And well, that was what would be nominated. You know, there'd be a couple of slots every year among the five nominees for Best Picture. You'd have these historical dramas. Now you have, yeah, Get Out. You have Moonlight winning. You have Shape, Shape of, of Water, Water winning last year. This year you have a Marvel movie, the best Marvel movie ever made, Black Panther. Better get nominated for Best Picture. And now tell me a little bit more about that. We were talking earlier today, and you were telling me a little bit about kind of Marvel's history at the Oscars, and it's a little bit surprising. Yeah, I don't think Marvel's ever really cared much about, and that's good because they've never been nominated. No Oscar nominations ever for a Marvel movie, even visual effects or sound kind of crafts categories you'd imagine maybe a Marvel movie could find a place. And this year, they have a movie, Black Panther, that was really great reviews, and then obviously $1.4 billion worldwide at box office. It's a movie where the craft that went into it, the costumes, the production design, the cinematography, has a lot of elements that could earn nominations in and of themselves. And then, yeah, that could translate to a Best Picture nomination for the movie, maybe even Ryan Coogler, director. And also, I think that that Black Panther in particular had such a vibrant villain in Michael B. Jordan's character of Killmonger, which so many of the other Marvel movies, it's been one of the kind of frequent knocks against them is that they've all had a villain problem. And somehow Black Panther, among its many things that are positives about it, it sort of solved that problem in particular. Yeah. And I, and really, I, I didn't talk about what's most important about the movie is just the cultural impact it had. It went well beyond a movie in terms of how people responded to it, particularly black audiences who saw the film as just a breakthrough in terms of representation. The connection. I mean, when you have people coming to a movie dressed in costume, when you have people, musical events breaking out in the lobbies, uh, it's that takes it beyond just a movie. So all those things together, the box office, the reviews, the cultural impact, Eric Killmonger, Michael B. Jordan, yeah, he should be nominated in the supporting actor category. And I'd like to talk about Widows. So it's an action heist thriller directed and co-written by Steve McQueen, who directed and co-wrote 12 Years a Slave. And it's just got an incredible cast. I mean, I'm reluctant to start naming off people in the cast because I'm afraid to leave off some great people. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. uh, Any movie where you're having to like cut off, you know, Jackie Weaver and Carrie Coon or um, John Bernthal because like, you know, there's so many people before them. That's like, that's a cast. And so, you know, Viola Davis, Elizabeth Debicki, 
Liam Neeson. You're, you're Colin naming them anyway, man. I'm trying. I'm trying. Ryan Tyree so, Henry. Of course. Of course. And also Daniel Kaluuya. I mean, yeah. he's fantastic in the movie. Now, Amy, tell me a little bit about your impressions of Widows. I know that you just saw the movie not too long ago. And does it strike you as a, a traditional Oscar movie? No, not at all. I mean, I saw it just last night, so it's certainly fresh in my mind. It's the kind of movie, it's a thriller. You're invested in every twist and turn, and there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of twists. There are a lot of, like, what just happened? Um, and I love that kind of movie as a film-going experience. And yet, just when you're listing off all of the excellent people in it, I didn't think of it as an Oscar movie because, like, Viola Davis, I would say, has the biggest, like, showcase performance there. Like, she gets the most to do. But there are so many. It's, like, almost an ensemble. There's so many people similar in the way to Black Panther almost where it's just, like, strong across the board. But it doesn't feel like, to me, I still am stuck on this, like, old school idea of an Oscar movie as, like, one person doing this transformative performance. So I'm not sure that. Go ahead. Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour. No, not that. Not that for me. Um, <laughs> but that's just that's the movie you just named. Yeah. Well, that's Churchill. I, I don't know. It just feels like yeah. Are these women in this movie badass and doing cool action stuff? And like, was it super fun to watch? Yes. Like, was I super emotionally moved? No. And for me, a Best Picture, like, it's got to make me cry. That's my barrier. Um, it's not just like an enjoyable experience. Um, so Lion, no, that was your... That I was, love Lion, yes. yes. But I wanted to like... La La Land. I loved La La yes. Land. Yeah. I uh, mean, I'm a sucker for that Star kind of thing. Born. But I, everyone has a different opinion. Well, then what movies so far this year for you have passed Amy's crying test? Not a lot, Mark. Like, honestly, Star Born, I didn't like get a full cry. I got teary. Have but you it was seen like, Green Book yet? Yep. Didn't cry. Ooh. Yep. Okay. Kind of heartless. Roma person. didn't even cry. <laughs> well, let's we'll get to Roma in a second. I want to still talk about Widows just a little bit more because to me, one of the things that's so exciting about that movie is that yes, it is a heist thriller, but at the same time, it is so smart about issues of gender and class and race that just give it an excitement and I think a sort of a heft and a gravity to it that this kind of movie tip might not typically have. I mean, what to me is just one of the definitive movie moments of the year. There's a moment where Colin Farrell plays kind of a crooked city politician. The movie's set in Chicago. He gets in his car with his assistant and they're having this conversation. You're hearing their conversation, but the camera is just of the front of their car and what you see is the kind of like the neighborhood that they're driving through it's not that great of a neighborhood and then the camera pans to the other side of the car and you see suddenly they're in a much nicer neighborhood and then Colin Farrell gets out of the car and that's the neighborhood he actually lives in and in moments you've been given so much information about the world of this movie the world that he occupies versus which some of the other characters occupy and that's just a smart smart filmmaking. And I think to me, that's just so exciting. Yeah, I, I talked to, I interviewed Steve McQueen, and we talked a lot about that shot. And yeah, I mean, that meant everything to him because it showed they started in this very poor neighborhood in Chicago, and then they went to the wealthy neighborhood. And basically, you're just looking out the front windshield and you're hearing the people talk and the conversation's interesting, but you're also getting so much visual information as well. It's, it's really a great shot. 
I know, Amy, you're sort of shaking your head as we're having this conversation. Is that because, does this strike you as too intellectual and not emotional enough for your? I, don't know, I was just movie? watching it like, oh god, you're trying like so hard during that shot. I was like, oh, we're not seeing their face. I gotta, but um. Yes. Does it have more heft than your typical heist thriller? Absolutely. And are there interesting political and racial viewpoints? Yes, but they're kind of danced upon and touched on. And like, basically, if your bottom line point is, is this better than your average heist thriller? Yeah, but it's still a heist thriller. I mean, to me, I just, it's funny. I saw the movie at sort of, you know, a kind of screening type situation. Like we often see movies at where I enjoyed the movie, but the audience did not necessarily respond to the movie. And then I saw it a second time with a much bigger crowd and a little bit more of a general audience. And I think people were cheering at parts, like whooping at parts. I mean, the audience response to the movie was certainly not what I expected when I was talking to Steve McQueen. We talked about how he was has really been caught off guard by that, Mm. that he has not been expecting that kind of audience response that the movie was getting. He he was trying to make an exciting movie, but he wasn't necessarily thinking that he was making like a cheer inducing type movie. He's never made a movie like that before. So it's new to him. But Glenn, do you feel like there is a consensus even among like a top five this year at this point? For best picture? Yeah. I think there's going to be a division that emerges. It's going to be Roma is going to be the movie that critics embrace and you're going to it's going to win New York or L.A. film critics and start to power its way through film critics groups at the end of the year. And that will be the um, consensus critical favorite. And then you'll have these popular movies like either A Star is Born or Green Book or both competing against it. And maybe the favorite Yogos Lanthimos, uh, subversive costume drama that's got the great women performances, uh, Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz, Olivia Coleman. I think all three of them get nominated. So that's going to be a movie that racks up nominated costumes and, you know, it's going to get a lot of nominations. So maybe that with Roma, you're going to have those two critical favorites and then the, the two commercial powerhouse crowd pleasers. So basically you think That's my Roma, consensus. Star is Born, Black Panther, and the favorite are Locks. And Green Book. And Green Book. And yeah, those are the five. And then you get down to like Black Klansman. Is Spike Lee going to finally get an Oscar nomination as a director? Black Klansman did well, about $50 million commercially. His best commercial hit since... Um, the heist movie, speaking of heist oh, movies. Inside Man. Inside Man, yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about Roma. Again, there's a movie that has some very traditional Oscar elements to it and some rather untraditional Oscar elements to it. Alfonso Cuaron, an Oscar winner himself, but this movie is shot in black and white. It's in Spanish language. It's a sort of a, a memory piece that's based on his own childhood about a woman, I guess, would you call her a nanny? who raised him mm-hmm. and his siblings. And so it's a drama about domestic work. And in that way, it makes it sound kind of dry and not like an Academy picture, but it's very emotional. It's very beautifully shot. I think his cinematography in it is just gorgeous. And so with a movie like that, where it's sort of straddling these two worlds between traditional Oscar movies and whatever this kind of new style Oscar movie might be, like, do you have any sense of where it's going to fall? Like, is it going to be taken in more embraced as an Oscar movie? Or do you think that the things that make it a little bit unusual will sort of work against it? 
I think in this new academy, the unusual will work for it. And I think Quaron is just highly regarded by everyone, you know? I mean, uh, he's just, he's one of the great artists working in film today. And Netflix never had a Best Picture nominee. This is its chance for a real breakthrough, kind of like House of Cards was its breakthrough on the television side. Well, tell me a little bit more about the Netflix side of what you're talking about in that do you think there is still sort of a prejudice from the Academy about Netflix and why that is? I mean, to what is it because they're seen as this disruptor of the way things are? I think there's a small percentage of Academy because Netflix has kind of taken over our lives. And I don't think only only just the old you have to be really yeah. grudge holder to just like, oh, I'm not going to vote for Netflix because they've, you know, messed up theatrical distribution. Netflix has also provided incredible opportunities for filmmakers and, and people working and funded a lot of things that probably wouldn't get funded. So, but it's interesting to yeah. me. Um, I think that in the olden days, if it was everybody working on a specific studio lot would vote for the movies of that studio, right. considering how many people have drawn a paycheck of one form or another from a Netflix production, it's hard not to wonder if somehow that has like seeped its way into the consciousness, if that people might be more inclined to vote for a Netflix movie, knowing that like, hey, I myself may be working for Netflix one day. That like, if that's part of what's like caused people that to sort of like to shift in their thinking a little bit. Yeah. And I, I think that just speaks to what I was talking about. Just, I don't think there are that many people who are have any kind of um, vendetta or like, I'm just not going to vote for Netflix because um, they're not, they're not movies. They're not cinema, you know? And I think they have the movie this year with Roma. That's going to, to be their ticket into the race. Well, I think it is interesting that the movie, as you were saying, Amy, it builds and it's kind of emotional momentum. And so it does start a little slow and that people, it'll be interesting to know, I know this is a big part of the Netflix algorithms and their their big data has to do with when people turn off a movie, that the big emotional punch of the movie and also some of its most epic and spectacular scenes are definitely in the last third of the movie. And so whether people get to that, I mean, in to some ways, if they get to the good stuff, it'll be interesting to see if they stick with it. I'm just thinking of it in terms of the way I watch Netflix with my roommates or, you know, when you're dating someone and you're like, when you're talking about Oscar movies, I kind of feel like in the past, an Oscar movie has a lot of times been something I had to convince other people to watch. Like, no, I promise you, like, it seems like it's, you know, in another language or it seems like it's this obscure topic by this weird artsy filmmaker, but like, it's going to pay off for you. Ed Roma feels like one of those ones that, like, I would have to do a hard sell to and friends. It doesn't sound like it's the movie that you want to do a hard sell. I'm not going to, but yeah. you could. Um, but also that also maybe just speaks to the way in which it is a traditional Oscar movie. If you have to sort of, like, sell it to your friends in the same way that you would have as an old Oscar school movie. Oscar movie. Yeah, because it's like a movie that you find merit in, but, like, you have to invest a little bit more. And in this day and age where, like, People are so uh, hesitant to give up their time and their attention because of their phones and all of this. Like, but now, Glenn, do you think there's anything to the fact that there is a really solid handful of movies this year that are female-centered stories? And now, maybe as a way to head towards wrapping up this conversation, 
Are there any movies that we have not discussed that you would want to put into listeners' minds? Well, we haven't mentioned Barry Jenkins' oh, yeah. If Beale Street Could of Talk. Of course. My gosh. Thank yeah, you. that's really getting lost, isn't it? Well, with Beale Street, it's not coming out until December. I, I did a, I moderated a Q&A with Barry Jenkins Friday night at the Writers Guild. And it was the theater, several hundred seats, was full. And people all really responded, gave him, you know, a huge standing ovation when I introduced him and seemed to love that movie. It's not being talked about a lot right now, but its release is still a month away. But I'm going to, I'm going to second you there. I think if Beale Street could talk is yeah. as exciting as Moonlight in some ways, arguably, I think even a more visionary work. I think that the emotional vibrancy of it, the way that Barry has brought the literary voice of Baldwin's source material to the screen, it's something I, I don't know. I've ever seen an adaptation that just captures the feeling of the language of Baldwin's work the way that Barry Jenkins does with this film. I just think it's it's just a powerhouse of a movie. And I will take a quick moment to um, mention a movie that I'm afraid is going to get lost in sort of the Netflix shuffle. In particular, as they sort of like move their resources towards Roma, and that is Tamara Jenkins's Private Life, which to me. From when it premiered earlier this year at Sundance has remained one of the most exciting movies I've seen this year. There's just something so emotionally true about that movie and the performances by Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn in particular, I just think are two of the best performances that I, I still have seen all year long. That movie just has remained sort of like a, a pace setter for so many other movies that I've seen. And so I really do hope that people, you know, it's right there on your Netflix so you can you can watch it at home. And I, and I would argue as much as I would not want to downplay the filmmaking in that movie, I think it's a movie that doesn't suffer from being seen on a home experience. Most people can watch that at home. If anything, it almost makes it like more sort of emotionally raw and maybe punishing in a way. And that you're like you're in your own domestic space watching this extremely domestic movie and like the realness of some of those scenes i think might even like be heightened by watching it at home so with that we're going to wrap up this conversation amy where can people find your work online amy k in la and glenn at glenn whip two ends two p's and you can find me at indie focus so for la times studios and the real i'm mark olson thanks for listening <laughs>